right now, you barely hear people talk about the allegiance to the country. You barely hear people talk about, I owe allegiance to my state. People talking about, oh, I'm a party member. I owe allegiance to the party. And when I look at it, I'll be like, hold on. Who is the party? The party is... Yeah. I mean, your people didn't elect you there because you're a member of PDP or APC or Labour Party. Yeah. People elected you because they believe you have their best interest in heart. Yeah. So your allegiance to be this, the people of your state or the people that you represent yeah. or Nigerians in general. We, we all know all our politicians, they come overseas. Yeah. They come from different, you know, uh, uh, lectures and good governance trainings and you know, name it, whatever you can call it. You can tell me that they don't enjoy security, good roads, amenities, and the rest of it. Why can't you replicate that on your own state? If yeah. you, what, what stops you making your state to be a role model? I, I was talking to a good friend of mine when he was talking about, you know, Nigerian leaders flying to London to go and discuss about Nigerian issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many times have we seen Macron and the Prime Minister of Germany and France, I mean, uh, 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 Belgium, traveled to Africa yeah. to discuss about European affairs. No, yeah. Well, you know, you're very right about that. But uh, here's my take on all of that. You know, I think, though, quite honestly, if you ask me, if I had a magic wand, or if I had any uh, authority to make this happen, one of the first things I'll do is ban foreign travel for all Nigerian politicians, especially when it has to do with medical attention or sending your child to school. Well, if you cannot provide good enough schools, good enough medical uh, establishments in in Nigeria, well, it's too bad. You know, you will not travel, not on taxpayers' money, (laughs) to, to no hospital in the UK, in the US, or wherever, for any kind of medical intervention. You know, yes. now we're even going to India. In my own time, you you didn't even dream of going to India for anything like that. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Right? So, for me, there will be an instant ban on that. Secondly, you know, that whole issue of going to talk about uh, issues that concern us in foreign countries, like you know, especially in the countries that colonize you in the first place. Listen, just from my own experience uh, as a former diplomat, the first thing you're thinking is, is that hotel room bugged not? Exactly. Thank right? you. So Thank how you. secure is that? They don't have no clue, mm-hmm. no clue who's listening to your conversation, who's listening into what you're doing or watching what you're doing in their own country. That's another thing. Secondly, uh, or thirdly, all these people, I, I was making that comment not long ago. We talk of corruption, right? And there's corruption all over the world, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the level we've taken it in Nigeria that is absurd, right? How does a snake eat billions of naira? Where? I mean, that surpasses, I mean, I'm a literature person, right? I couldn't even imagine that. <laughs> Somebody give me a such an excuse. Nigeria is the place where the impossible becomes possible. <laughs> just, I mean, I never, you know, fathom that. Then, you know, I'm saying, all right, you stole some money. Well, use it to develop your village, now. No. Why would you take money that you stole from Nigeria and take it abroad and uh, take it abroad yes bank it in a Swiss bank or in a French bank or in a bank in Dubai or wherever you know yes that's our money that you've given them to develop their own country you don't need that and then you turn around and you ask for aid well the aid they give you is still your money (laughs) now your money and your resources Yeah. It's not even just asking for aid. They take the money that you stole from your people, give to their own people to develop the economy, and they turn around and impose visa sanctions. Of course. On your citizens, so yeah. you don't come in. 
Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. How can you have billions of dollars stashed away in a Swiss bank and your village doesn't have electricity, it doesn't have water? No. You can't even drive on a good road to reach... Sir, even... We don't even have to go far. When... Uh, when I was in Nigeria, I was, you know, a Zimbabwe uh, diplomat came and on our way to our meeting, he saw the long queue at the gas station. So, of course, this is first time to Nigeria. He said, ah, are they giving a discount on, you know, usually like <laughs> when you see a long queue in other countries, either somebody's giving out something for free or, you know, at a discounted sale price. And I now told him, no, sir, it's full scarcity. He said, what does that mean? You know, so I said, what? So first of all, I was like, wait, Zimbabwe, I mean, he said, Nigeria is rich. Like, he said, aren't you, don't you guys have oil? She's, he said, I don't understand what you mean, full scarcity. I said, petrol scarcity, ain't no gas, you know. I said, yes, us that work at Diplomatic Mission, when I work with the U.S. government, I we can, you know, we have a, a filling station there. You know, but even during the force custody was limited. They'll say, okay, if you have two, three um, cars in your in your household, you can only um, fill up one. So it just, and then, so that's one. So that was a, a shocker <laughs> to him. Then two, I also told him, I said, oh, we don't even have no refinery. So we sell this oil. Other no, people refine have, it and four, then they sell it back to us. We have four refineries that have, we've put money into over and over and nothing happened. We're talking about electricity, they've pumped billions and billions into, you know, trying to, you know, get the power lines up and all that kind of stuff. And still, we still, you know, even with, in my time, it was called NEPA, you know, <laughs> uh, never expect power at any time. <laughs> you know, and yeah. Nigerians are creative and up. I guess it's a, it's a coping mechanism, right? make fun of everything we laugh at everything that's why comedy is such a big thing in nigeria yes, now yes. you know uh, but in all seriousness you know w- if we want respect in the world right not just for nigeria but for africans in general yes yes you know we need to get it right in nigeria yes absolutely i agree with you we need to get there's no tutus about it. yes i mean there must be, I mean, we call the, the giant of Africa and the, you know, all kind of names we have for it. If we don't get it right, you know, we're not doing any favor to the Cameroonian. We're not doing any favor to the guy from Niger or from the uh, Dakar in Senegal or from even Accra, Ghana, you know, name it, you know, because the outside, you know, the first thing is, is, is CUS is African. Yes. Right? Oh, you're African. Exactly. You know, right? So for Africa to get it right, for Nigeria to, I mean, we need to get it right so that Africa can be respected. Yeah. I, I think that is also important to, to stress because sometimes we, we, we're so parochial in, in, our, in our thinking. We're looking just at, at the country and we're talking about, oh, let's split it up. I, Honestly, there was a time maybe I was even in favor of let everybody go their separate ways, but not anymore. Because quite honestly, you know, the the the, the possibilities that we have as a unified country is greater than splitting up, right? You know, I I must address that. You know, uh, I don't want to be big fish in a small pond right the bigger the pond then let's all swim in that pond right yes absolutely and the kind of respect that you're going to get you know is only going to come when the sea i mean look at the numbers look at the numbers there's nobody in their sane mind who is going to ignore a market of over 200 million people Nobody. It's not possible. No way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right? So, if you organize that, if you break it up like they did the whole continent of Africa in the Berlin Conference, if you do that, you know, then you, we just... Divide, divided we fall, united we yeah. stand. 
Yeah. Easy pickings for, for, for those who don't want us together, right? So I think we, we need to focus on what is positive and what is good about that country. And there's a lot good about it. Quite honestly, there is, you know, and start respecting that, start understanding that, and start teaching our children. Listen, I went to government college back. Government College Baden was one of those uh, colleges, federal government colleges. You know, there was one in Mahia, there was one in uh, somewhere in the north. You know, uh, and the idea I believe at the time was to get you know young Nigerians from all across the country yes. to study together. To, to you know, you in the same boarding school. You, you you know you go to class together you become friends and that kind of stuff and they i mean this year is the 60th anniversary of my starting at gc at government college Bank. wow and those of my classmates who are still alive we're planning a reunion in july you know in nigeria now that is something i went to school with people from all over the country when the war broke out, I was heartbroken seeing, you know, my friends, you know, have to leave school and go back to the East in those days. I was heartbroken. I was crying. Mm-hmm. You know, I could not understand what was going on. You know, that, that was just way beyond my comprehension. What is going on? Why would they pick on uh, Alex? Why would they pick on, uh, what was his name? You know, why? Why? Why does he have to leave because, you know, he's not from this part of the country? Hmm. No. So, but we do not understand how great that country be when we pull our resources together. And the biggest resource we have is not oil. The biggest resource we have is the people. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Resource. Yes. Yeah, that's the I'm... biggest resource we have as a people, you know. And we need to be able to, to, you know, use that to our advantage and realize, like I said earlier, that it's not just about us. It's also the same way they look at us, that's the same way they're going to look at the guy from Kenya. That's the same way they're going to look at the guy from Uganda, from the Congo, because you're all Africans. Yes, so, and I think that even brings me, leads me to my next question, that um, just, you know, working in the diplomatic uh um, sector and also being a Nigerian that was posted uh, a, a Nigerian American but of course representing the US government posted to Nigeria and just talking to my other diplomatic colleagues so I wanted to get your opinion on bilateral and um, regional and multilateral um, engagements your advice for young diplomats so going specifically back to the point where you said you were in the room with Russian diplomats. They were speaking their language. And then when you all now switch to your own native language, they now got uncomfortable. So when um, we talk about diplomacy and, you know, we're talking about protecting our people, nation, also our information, our culture, our language, preserving it. Um, language preservation has, has been very, very rare, even with, I would say, the younger generation now. Um, a lot of my cousins, even when I went back home, they did not, they did not speak Yoruba. You know, they were shocked when, you know, even when I did with the Ministry of of, of Health, Minister of Health, you know, Permanent Sec and 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 Lagos when I go on site visits, and they're signing bilateral agreements, and then we will have our sidebar conversation, and I'll tell them, I said Mobo Yoruba that I was, you know, and I said about Mio Soda that of course my accent and everything is, but I said I would prefer for you guys to have this conversation in Yoruba. And the go, and then you have a right to negotiate. Most of the most of those diplomatic circles side. So I'm just talking about bilateral one to one, you know, nation um, agreements. So let let's say Nigeria and U.S. or Nigeria Russia, whatever the nation be. Most of the time, they say Africa is so easy because it will be them dictating that we already draft our agreement and our people. You even see them. This is the Africa we just had recently, the Africa U.S. summit. It was held here. They brought all 54 heads of states. 
So that goes back to my regional when it comes to ECOWAS as far as West Africa and then the African Union. So nobody, and I I believe it was like two or three heads of states that were saying no. They refused to come to the U.S. because they said if this is an Africa summit, really talking about our resources and everything, you know, I mean, we're, we're the ones that have, we're the ones that's reaching not just human resources, natural resources, all the things that are circulating in the so-called Western world. Most of those resources were taken from Africa, whether it be gold, whether it be petroleum, whether it be uranium, titanium, copper, cocoa, anything. And I never was comfortable with that. And, you know, because I'm playing. So you served at the Nigerian diplomatic. So I'm very happy to hear that story where you all switched it up. That is very, very rare. And when I used to say those things and I'll talk to them on the side and I said, no, you actually have a right. Like <laughs> you're the host country, but I'm talking from an African point of view. I'm, I said, I'm taking off my other diplomatic point of view, but every, and you can't get mad at the other nation because once again, in the diplomatic realm, we are making agreements in the best interest of our nation, our people, our information, our, you know, to preserve what is in the best interest of us, which might not be in the best interest of the other party. So how can you recommend to these young diplomats, one, you know, when you're speaking at those type of things, if they're speaking in, you know, their local language, if you see other nations, like go to the United Nations or go to an Africa summit, you know, how can this be an Africa summit and you're not speaking in your local language? And, and there's no African language. And there's no African language. Even the Francophone countries... They didn't yeah. speak in English. They still spoke in Franklin, but they still have their local. I've been to Burkina Faso. I've been to Lome, Togo. I've been to Dakar, Senegal. I tell people that I said, I know we have our own <laughs> local languages. And even within Yoruba, Igbo, everything, Bini, you have different even dialects. I said, yeah. we have translators because you cannot say Nigeria is the most popular, uh, populated. And even in the diaspora, there's no way in any diplomatic realm. Where, well, say, for example, we have Buhari. They do not have somebody to translate from English to Hausa. And even if they don't, they can bring one of their chief of staff. Absolutely. That can be that. So how can we really, Sa, you know, really change the narrative? I'm going to really be honest. Because when we're dealing with um, diplomatic bilateral agreements, let's say, for example, with Iran or Russia, whatever. No, it's not easy. We're not dictating and saying, okay, here, sign this. No. They're like, okay, we're going to read. What is your strategic priorities? We have our own strategic priorities. They have their own negotiation. They'll go back and forth. And they don't make an agreement. Nobody is signing nothing. Do you understand? They don't, they don't leave it at name unless they're comfortable. They will now go back, have their own inside meeting. Because, you know, it's intelligence. So we don't know who's spying on who, who's taping who. And most of those bilateral meetings, I mean, especially top high level, you know, meetings where I'm with ambassadors and high chiefs, they'll tell us, okay, you know, put your phones aside. We can't go in the room with our phones because we don't know who's recording everything. But still, some people sneak stuff. I mean, so yeah. I'm going to be honest. So, so, so two, how can you preserve? So I'm like, you don't have to, even me, my mom even told us. No, even when you're negotiating, even for a job, you don't just sign the first thing that they offer you. You negotiate and you say, okay, I'm going to think about it. And me, I will, and she always said, if, if that thing is for you, that thing will wait. You understand? If God said that, you're going to be appointed king. <laughs> he didn't give you a date. Do you understand? So if it not be for today, it will definitely be tomorrow. But you will definitely, because what God said, now find out. So they, this bilateral agreement has never been in the best interest of Africa. That's one. And that's just, I'm talking about, you know, external um, multilateral relations. But even within ourselves, we don't, we don't have good, you know, open trade agreements. We don't, we don't take care of Africa as far as the African Union is. Africa Union is not even fully funded. Even ECOWAS, Nigeria is the one, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that, that funds ECOWAS. So we have a long way to go. And I want you to truly be honest about the young diplomats. And I'm speaking from another diplomatic, like I've served another diplomatic nation. And I saw how not just Nigeria, but so many. "Ah, So you're just going to just take this thing. (laughs) This is our own strategy. And you now sign it. Uh, And you said something before Uh, about the funding. They, yeah. they, will, they will now entice you over giving you this development fund for public health or this yes. and that. Yeah. Those yes. funding are resources from 
our all and other stuff that they're sending back to us. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I agree with you 200%. I think, first of all, Tony, uh, be very frank, uh, it has to start first with the training the diplomats, right? Yes. There should be no reason uh, why any Nigerian diplomat, you know, should not be able to speak three main languages of Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, I would even say the more the merrier. At least you should be fluent enough in Hausa, Igbo, and Yoruba. In addition to English or whatever other foreign language you want to. So that is key. There was a time when there was this uh, whole, uh, I don't know if it was a policy or if it was just something that uh, we call it Wazobia. Wa meaning come in Yoruba. Zo in house meaning come. Yes, yes. They even have Wazobia radio to now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So come in Yoruba. Yeah. There is no reason why we shouldn't maintain that. And that, listen, children learn languages and Africans in particular are very uh, language proficient. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they will learn. You can put an, uh, an African in China tomorrow. By the end of next week, they will be speaking Chinese. Yes. You know, uh, so we have that aptitude, right? Mm-hmm. And we can definitely set up a program in which our children, you know, in in Nigeria, you know, learn at least two, three, and I would even throw in Swahili, if you ask me, mm-hmm. right? Because it is key. That that whole issue of language, we have ignored it, you know, I think to our own peril, you know, because all we do now is, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the, the better you can speak a foreign language, the more intelligent you're supposed to be. That is, a, that is not true. That's not so at all, you know. Language is a means of communication. We need to be able to uh, handle language as such, and especially because it's also a bearer of culture, yes. right? So uh, that language element is very, very important. And if you're going to represent Nigeria anywhere, you should be able to at least speak those three you know, major languages. You know, that would be one in terms of training for the a new generation of diplomats. In, in the second place, I think it is also important for us to get our priorities right. We, when we talk of our interest, how do we define that interest? Have we defined mm-hmm. properly what is in the best interest of Nigeria, or do we wait for somebody else to tell us what is our interest? Yes. You know, nobody can know what is best for you more than you. So we need to be able to establish that, define it and say, this is what, you know, and draw a line, okay, we're negotiating, yes. but this is our starting point and this is a point of, uh, you know, uh, no return for us. Exactly. You know, if, you know, that's it. You know, if you cross that line and packing up and I'm going, yeah, I'm not going to sign it. You know? But we are quick you know, uh, please the Europeans, the West, and all that stuff, and want to be in their books while all they're doing is using us, exploiting us, uh, gaining access to our uh, resources. We see what's happening now all over Africa with the Chinese, for example. You know, I mean, that, that shouldn't be happening in the 21st century. I'm sorry. You know, the means that we have not indeed uh, at least as a people as a nation to be able to say hey you know all right how do we engage all these foreigners coming into our country what is it they want what is it they're looking for what can we offer them and what can we get from them mm-hmm. no. but we need to be able to establish our own interest what are paramount in terms of our interest see that, you know, we can save that and guarantee those interests in any negotiations we enter into. Whether it's in a bilateral form, whether it's in a multilateral form, and whether it's, uh, you know, on an international level, or even at the level of the UN, you know. We, we also, I must say that, you know, 
cannot analyze that we have ignored all along. Yes. The Caribbean oh. has 34 countries. How many African nations have United Nations in the Caribbean that are resident here? Yes. You know? Maybe one or two. You know, Nigeria has one in Trinidad, uh, another one in Jamaica. In Jamaica, That's yeah. Different. the numbers you know there's power in numbers and unity and that even gets me to my next question sir about the capacity and nation building of those in the diaspora um, i learned the lots um my last diplomatic um, overseas post i was in um, jamaica but i was the um the caribbean coordinator for our um, presidential emergency plan for hiv and tb for the whole caribbean um, as far as for the u.s government and you know, my daughter, so one, <laughs> when you're trying to say your extended family, many Americans put their children in American diplomatic schools. I said, no, the American diplomatic school was all the way across Kingston and, you know, the traffic and everything right next door to the U.S. Embassy <laughs> was St. Peter and Paul, where um, was one of the top um, preps primary schools there. The Minister of Health um, um a child went there, the permanent sec. So even as, as far as building relationship <laughs> with the host country, get diplomatically, you know, I can say, Oh, you know, my daughter runs track like, um, like your son there. And that's where she even got the love of running track. Um, when her, when her gym PE teacher saw her running and was like, Oh, we need to, to get hot in, in, in track, which Jamaica is one of the best in the world. Yeah. And, um, 
so and and learning even so first of all when she was even you know learning the history of the the west indies and the caribbean you know i couldn't help her because that ain't the history that we learned right so i had to hire a tutor who was a retired professor at the university of west indies and i learned a lot and even they even have calabas school they have a village a parish for calabas I learned Nigerian history. Yo, I would have never. This is helping her with homework. So, I, so, so, so you said a key thing about learning language. So I want to take it back there as far as um, nation building and, and preserving our culture. Even foreign service diplomat. I've met Oimbo diplomats, you know, <laughs> white Americans that speak Yoruba, that speak Hausa. Because within even the foreign service, even one of my diplomats that, you know, that um, is, is supposed to a Spanish speaking country, you have to take classes, you have to take courses because they know that language is a good way. Do you understand? To be able to negotiate. So one, I think, yes, it should be a requirement for <laughs> a foreign service that you got to speak it, at least understand it for goodness sake. So that's number one. And then, you know, number two, you know, going back to history, um, what what is being taught at our school at that foundational level? What 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 is being taught? Um, and is the true history because we have a very rich African history. Um, it not just Nigerian history, but rich African history and just the connections between each of our country before, just like you said, the Western Berlin conference, we were different kingdoms. If you look at the history, the historical, you'll see ah, Niger kingdom, or you'll see, you know, so, and, and that kingdom will contain many countries, you know? So even in biblical times, you will see a, a king over 133 provinces of kingdoms. Um, yeah. So just to, to put it into perspective, when we're talking about history and showing how connected we are, because, for example, for Ghana, they have avenues where now they're accepting a lot of African-Americans. I have a lot of African-Americans that have moved home. One diplomat, he was a lawyer. He worked at Department of Justice. He ha- He's now living in Ghana. He opened. He also has a Caribbean background. He opened up a Caribbean restaurant. He said he's living his best life. He's never felt at home, even here in America. He was always scared. Even this is a lawyer, somebody, a top diplomat was working in DC. He's, he, he grew up in Chicago with me, but will always be scared, you know, that he will be a victim of violence and be pulled over. He'll be at the wrong place at the wrong time, but just because of the color of his skin. So uh, the, what is, you know, is, uh, so the, the strategic question of, capacity building, diaspora, you know, nation building, but not just for Nigerians, but others. Now that we have for the science, so my scientific side comes out. When many of my friends, even today I was at church, one guy said, ah, I took my DNA test and I found out I'm Nigerian. I said, I already know that, <laughs> you know, we're the most populated country in Africa. So most of y'all, you know, they will say it. That out of, you know, I think it's four out of six <laughs> African-Americans, they said, you know, will be Nigerian for sure, or at least have some high percentage of Nigeria. TD Jakes too. So many people have come out and say, oh, they've taken their their DNA test and they saw that they are Nigerians. What are the things that we can entice our brother and sister? So come back home. We don't need foreign direct investments. If all of us in the diaspora truly come and join hands and unite us, Africa can be way better than any of the Western countries any day, any time, because we have expertise and just like you said before, in the arts and engineering and everything. But if we do not come together and unite, many of those Nollywood Netflix film now are, are not even recorded in Nigeria because of the poor infrastructures of light and things like that. But how can we be able to unite and be able to be a lifeline to create that environment to go home? You understand, sir? Because yeah. if we don't do that, and starting from policy, you said it before about diaspora voting is very strategic. When it, working in the diplomatic realm, it doesn't matter how much you do in the private sector. The private sector still needs government. You cannot make sustainable changes. These changes that we're talking about, if we cannot influence policy, if we don't have a right to vote for the right to lead us, not just at the federal level, at the state, at the local government level, at the regional level, even at the African Union level, then we have a long way to go. 
And then my last question, I know was, you know, is levels to this. So not just bilateral, regional, then also at the African Union, we don't have like a diaspora unit, a diaspora chair. If you look at Israel, given an example, Israel, why the Jewish people are extremely united is that they have a ministry of diaspora affairs. As a matter of fact, they're one of the only countries in the world that have a ministry of diaspora I think it's them and Australia. I'm not sure. It's only two countries. Because I, I, cause I was one, I said, ah, don't we have, there has to be, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. They, exactly. they have a very strong, united, I mean, even though I'm Nigerian, if I do my DNA and I say that, oh, I have a percentage that I'm somewhat Jewish, you will see how they will embrace me, So. Yeah. We do don't have that. Even we don't even have that political platform at the African Union level, at the ECOWAS level, and even at the individual host country levels where diaspora is not Ministry of Foreign Affairs because that that's a that's a different yeah. level. That's like our State Department, for example. Yeah. Yeah. That's different from diaspora affairs. So how specifically can we build our capacity and unite to strategically be able to influence the the, the the transformational changes that we need in Nigeria. So over to you. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that's a mouth. very, very good question. <laughs> that's a mouth. Yes, yes. but the very important questions that you raised. Uh, first of all, uh, let me say this. Um, you alluded to, you know, African Americans flock into Ghana. I, I see that every single day here. Uh, now they're looking at places like Rwanda, you know, and uh, other places in Africa. But again, it's, you know, where people feel welcomed. Where you will go where you feel welcome, where you, you know that, uh, you know, you will not be treated fairly, you will not be treated as a, uh, as a stranger. Because you know? one of the biggest uh, appeals that Africa has for, for African diaspora in general, that's African Americans, Caribbean people, Brazilians uh, who are black, etc., etc., is the fact that uh, you know, when they land in any part of Africa, they don't look different, right? So they are instinctively like us. <laughs> yes. Seen as one of us. I'll give you a, a, a joke. Well, it's not really a joke. This really happened. Right? A friend of mine from Nigeria goes back to Nigeria with a friend, an African American, goes back home with him, and I can stop. He was from maybe Chicago area too. And, uh, you know, they got to Lagos, and uh, this friend of mine started speaking in Yoruba and I can stop. And of course, the immigration officials start uh, welcome back home and all kind of stuff. And uh, I speaking to his friend, the, the American in Yoruba. And of course, he couldn't speak nor understand Yoruba, so he didn't know what they were saying. He was looking at the friend. And immediately, those officials thought, oh, this is one of those JJC who's pretending not to know how to speak the, the language anymore. JJC, Johnny just come for those that don't right. know. <laughs> I've been called that many times until they under, and then I now tell them no more boy you're by I just can't speak it well. <laughs> you see, you see. Yeah. So the point I'm trying to make with that is that you know that instant integration into the society into the community where you don't have to you you not look upon anymore through the of your skin. You know that releases a lot of stress. So you know you're home in a sense. You know That's you don't true. have to, uh, you know, behave in any particular way when you stop by the police because the police, yes. the person is going to think is that you one of me, yes. one of us. Yes. Right. So that is a big, big uh, factor for many of them to want to relocate back. But like I said earlier, we have create the the atmosphere and the environment is welcoming enough for them not that I want to say give them any special treatment but so what so what if we did you know they are family we treat family like that 
you know so why can't we tap into their reservoir they they're a big resource to yeah african americans yes what to start investing in africa guaranteed yeah. you know what transformation that's going to be for africa for them yeah. from what i i read somewhere the uh african american as a group in the us manned no maybe they, they will be ranked about the fifth largest economy in the world yes yes right this is in the top 10 yes. in the world yes, yes. Mm-hmm. from an economic that, standpoint that, yes yes right. yes so you imagine that you know coupling that with the immense market we have in africa with all the possibilities we have in africa mm-hmm. it's it's a win win for everybody why don't we do it why do we you know in blindfolded by all this western hype and all this you know why can't we tap into that it only takes one country to start doing it you know once one country starts doing it and starts doing it uh successfully all the others will start emulating we like to copy you know what we believe is a you know winning uh formula all the other countries will fall in line now of course we have to be mindful of the fact that the Europeans ain't going to take that line down because they don't want that not in their interest yeah absolutely let, let us fight for our own interest first let's let's recognize that let's identify what those interests are and, and, and fight for it them. yes right so that, that the one two in terms of um Um, and Sat, can you also talk about even more for many people that don't know about Festac? That was the famous festival back then that you that you talked right. about. My mom, she was actually one of the chief catering officers during the Festac. Oh, um really? and I think that is very important to talk about that especially because how we are known for our Afrobeats. You talk about Burnout Boy, our entertainment, and that is also a way because she also said during Festac You know they 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 were able to build houses, you know. She was even yeah. saying that her regrets of not being it's able. Town yes. Yes, there's a Festac town and that she was not able to get one of those allocations that you know so many yeah. of her friends were able yeah. to and a lot of those African Americans some of them even you know married, <laughs> you know, came home, found their spouse during that time and even continued to stay in Nigeria, you know, up until now and have descendants. So what type of things even if we can't do it at the diplomatic level but that was you know at, at even a lot of private sector organizations were involved in that we can take it from the entertainment level of enticing people even at the real estate level which everybody wants to invest you know you can invest anywhere like Donald Absolutely. Trump he has Trump Tower all over the world how can we show them that you know this this is a untapped resource for them to be an economic strong house and also how can we make sure that they have buy-in you can't have buy-in if you're not a citizen they are truly our citizens they were stolen and they were put into slavery and one of my african american friends said okay told me you have a flag you have a nation we don't have a place to come home you know like ghana now they're even giving them you know access to 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 be, have dual citizenship which is also allowed here in the in the us So yeah. from that diplomatic standpoint side, do you think that that will also be an enticing way for them to close the gap from the history that was stolen from them to say look, any African nation that you want to, you know, be a part of, we will we are open to you being a citizen because you are. They are our <laughs> relatives. Yeah, well, I for the love of me, I I not understand why we haven't done that already. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly. Is, you know, Those are very simple, easy things. Other than the fact that, uh, well, you know, quite honestly, you know, the whole issue uh, you know, that's making this seem almost a Herculean task is ignorance, right? We, in Africa, are very ignorant of what is happening in this side of the world. Yes. 
right? We need to admit that, you know. If you don't go to school and get educated and study particular subject, you may not even know what is happening right here. You, know? you, you don't know how that connects to your own history, right? You mentioned earlier, you know, um, some of these uh, historical figures. Kaja of Opogo died in a place right here in the, in the Caribbean called St. Vincent. Wow. Wow. It took me years to find out that. And that his people demanded that his body be returned to Opogo. And the British then put him on a ship, shipped him uh, via the uh, Canary Islands in Spain back to Opogo. Kaja of Opogo. Right. Where wow. do you find that in any history that we taught? Nowhere. None. Nowhere. See? Now, these are the things that you know, really make me feel like you know, we have been so brainwashed to the point that we ignore you know, into our own peril. We ignore our history. We ignore those who we are naturally connected with. You know? And they want to be recognized. They want to be, you know, it's a two-way street, actually. So I understand that, but there's no reason why. I don't, I don't know, for example, what is happening now at the tertiary level. But there was a time when uh, we had all these student exchanges, right? Yes. Uh, Nigerian students went to Legon, you know, and Ghanaian students came to to so Nigeria. Yes. Right. Even the at secondary school level, we used to have the yeah, uh, government college in We used to have sporting and cultural exchanges with uh, schools in Dahomey at the time mm-hmm. of Dahomey, uh, that's been in public, you know, and uh, right up to Ghana, uh, you know. And everybody used to look forward to being able to jump on the uh, truck and drive up to, you know, the Republic or to. Uh, to Ghana, no, the Gold Coast. <laughs> I don't know if that has been done today. You know, hardly do we even want our children to go from Ibadan to Enugu or from uh, uh, Lagos to China. You know, everything is now so localized. One thing that I heard also really, really upset me a lot is that teaching of history has been move from the curriculum in Nigerian schools. Now, how do you explain that? Exactly. <laughs> how do you explain that? How, how can you raise a nation without the teaching of their history? Without the history. And we have a rich, rich history. Culture. And you said something, Sal. I, I don't want you to, to, to pass that point about also traveling because travel is learning, you know, oh, yeah. even within history books. And I tell people, I said, because I was a diplomat, I used to volunteer for a lot of the site visits. So out of like the 36 states that we have, I've probably been to like almost 20. And I was just so amazed. Like when I went to Niger, Mina, you see the waterfalls, I've been to Kaduna yes. and I'm talking about our scores like Kafachan. You know, I like yes. to not just go into the city. I want to go to the country, even when I went on polio vaccination in, in um, I think, Oshun State, and I was talking to, you know, the, the, the minister of health then, and, I, and he said, oh, were you inside, you know, the t-? I said, no, I wasn't in Oshobo. I was, like, in Boluwaduro, like, all those five skirts, <laughs> like, LGAs. I would later come back to the city to, to sleep because of security reasons and everything. But as far as the work, I, I would like to, to, to go out and, and really... Um, talk to the people, you know, if it's antenatal day, if I'm talking about prenatal care, I want to just pop up and see, okay, you know, our, and, and, and that was shocking because they would say, oh, yes, you know, our treatment, we're treating all these pregnant mothers. It's a lie. A, a lot of the stuff that they said that was going on, when you actually go to that local government level, you will see that things were not um, going on. You will see pregnant women on the floor waiting because the doctor, he's not making enough money. He hasn't been paid salary on time. So he has his own private clinic. So he will wake up in the morning, go to the private clinic from maybe 8 to 12. Then he will come to the general hospital or the primary health center from like 12 to 2. And whoever he sees within that period, and they will line up from 8 a.m., because they want to, you know, it's just a mess. 
So, you know, traveling as going back to my point of traveling is learning history. You know, they used to have, um, what did they call it? Excursions. I had, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, you know, like that's not, you know, that's not even a requirement now. Like before it was a requirement. That's why I was saying, even before we started this show is that you all really enjoyed the real (laughs) Nigeria and not just exchange. You mentioned about exchange within other African countries, which are important, but Nigeria was so strategic to the world that my cardiologist trained, he did his residency. He's one of the top cardiologists at the University of Chicago Hospital in Joe's Plateau State that you talked about. I met another physician, a medical doctor who also did an exchange program in Ibadan. You understand? So, and they speak, I was shocked. I said, the guy, he was speaking Hausa. The other guy, he was speaking Yoruba. This is a, a Caucasian white guy. And they got their training and they said they got one of the best training. That was one of the best experience that they experienced that. So if if other people are appreciating our history and our culture, how come that history, which is very disheartening, has been taken out? Things like excursion traveling to see other other communities different than yours, because Nigeria is very diverse and very beautiful. Why? How can we prioritize that, Sa? Well, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> to tell the truth, I don't. Yes, yes. Uh, w- what I do know is that you know, it is ill-advised to do that, to take out history. Uh, I am for refining, you know, uh, modernizing the, the whole curriculum uh, that is being taught in our schools. I'm also for making sure that the history that we have taught is not their history, not as they would say here, his story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But ours, right? And like I said, you know, I, I went to school in Nigeria right up to when I was 17 years old and never knew anything about Dejavu Odin in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, just one example you mentioned about uh, the Calabar school in Jamaica and all yes. that stuff. I have Jamaican friends. When I tell them, I said, the Calabar school that you have in Kingston, you know that it's named after city Nigeria where I come from. Mm-hmm. I said, no, that can be, you know, but it's right there, you know. And then they said, oh, wow, I didn't know that. They didn't know that. And you know, it was not up until this year, to give an example, that the Nigerian ambassador on our Independence Day went, you know, to the foreign affairs minister in Jamaica and they did a visit in in Calabar and they were teaching them about Nigerian history and even where Calabar is and Cross River State. They had no clue. So even we have a role that even them, even if they didn't know, the Nigerian ambassador, she's very good. I, I can't remember her name. But she took, she went the extra mile and said, no, I think that it'd be nice to go there. So that was one of, you know, her, her visits on her tour for Nigerian Independence Day, bringing more awareness of Nigeria to the Caribbean culture. She did that. She started her tour, that launch at the Calabar High School. And I was like, I was like, wow. So it took all these years for people to connect the dots. Oh, that's true. That's true. And you know, what's even more, you know, in person, if I may put it that way, is the fact that, you know, we, we, the, the links, I always said that's right, and that's from my own personal experience, that, you know, one of the reasons, and that's why I said ignorance is one of the biggest obstacles we have to coming together, you know, um, when we meet our African-American, our uh, Caribbean brothers and sisters, we very seldom meet in our respective homes. So we meet them in the US yes. college. Yes. We meet them uh, in Europe, studying or working together, you know. But we seldom meet them like in Jamaica, like you did, or they come to Lagos or to Enugu, you know. We don't meet there. You know? And that's where the travel that you mentioned earlier uh, comes in. So when you meet somebody in, in their home, a, a space that is not yours, your 
behavior is different. Mm-hmm. You, know? mm-hmm. you meet me at home, you won't see me wearing uh, tucks. You won't see me wearing, uh, what you call it, shoes or boots or whatever. You'll see me in my slippers. You'll probably see me in a t-shirt. You'll see me home. Mm-hmm. Right? That is the real me. Not one that you meet in a restaurant or in a uh, conference or at school all time. Yes. Right? That's not the real me. The real me is the one you meet home. At home. Right? Yes. So, if I'm drinking Gary, I offer you Gary to drink. Exactly. That, right? Is <laughs> the real me. And that's where the nation building starts. When you exactly. meet them, when you meet yes. them where they are. Right. Yes. So when no, we the, the, meet the, outside, yeah. the relationship that we build cannot be as strong as when we meet each other. That's true. Right. And I think we we don't realize that. I, I saw that quickly because I know this I started in Spain, right? I had friends, you know, who were going to school. Yeah. But I can't remember any one of my Spanish friends inviting me to their homes for all the years that I studied in Spain. Wow. Right. But we meet at school, we go to a restaurant, we go to the disco, etc., etc. But I never knew where they lived. I never went inside their house. But in their sitting room, I never did. So how do you spend six, eight years in a place, make friends, who you don't know anything about their homes? So the relationship remains superficial. Very superficial, friends, absolutely. We, yeah, you know, we're friends, we exchange, yeah. you know, what I call it, uh, emails and this and that up to now. But, you know, it just dawned on me that hey, you know, I never met this guy's uh, family. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, I was never in their home. You know, why? And the same applies to us. You know, and when I say us, I'm not just saying you know uh, the Nigerians and the you know, uh, brothers and sisters in the diaspora. I'm also even when you come to think of it, talk about Nigeria itself. How many of the uh, your classmates? How many of your friends have you been to their homes? Home, home. Their real home, and yes. I and I yeah, think that where that they is sleep, where they wake up, where they eat, where they you know. And for us, also putting it from the diaspora point of view, how many of your close friends from other cultures, whether it be African Americans and and so forth, have we yes. taken? back to Nigeria, which my sister, you know, she was able to do. Um, and, and I have done even, you know, at, at the diplomatic level, I'll say, oh, you know, when we're requesting deployers, I'll say, oh, one of my classmates, okay, we went to Emory together. I'll say, oh, Darrell. And he came, he was working for National Institute of Health and he came to Nigeria and, you know, I brought him to my home. It's different from coming to Nigeria as a diplomat. They put you in a hotel. Exactly. I, I took him to my home. I said, look, I said, now I'm going to show you the real Nigeria. We went to a suya joint. We went to a place where yeah. points and kill. We had live bond. Like he had the, the ball of his life. I, I, you know, I probably got in trouble because I was supposed to get it cleared by the security, you know. <laughs> but anyways, we had we had our, our, our fun time. My sister, she's a part of sorority here. She took her sorority friends and they did a tour. They went from, they first started in Morocco, then they went to Ghana, and then they went to Nigeria because she wanted to show them that Africa is very different. You understand? And that even within Nigeria, we're very different. And of course, took them to the fun things like they went to Nigerian wedding, they went to, you know, an Afrobeat concert. And now, even after that first initial visit, a lot of them now travel on their own and go back to Ghana, go back to Nigeria on their own. They've made other friends, you know, I call and I'm like, wait, Mookie there or whatever. You know, my cousin, I'm like, okay, they didn't even tell me, you know, so I'm like, we the one to introduce, we your real original family. But it brings me so much joy. And you said a very key point, which is important. If I have never even been to your home, I can say, oh, 
my friends that you know are from the latino heritage or pacific island i can say okay i've been to their home they're from guam i say good morning half a day you know if they're from american samoa talova you will know their greetings and their eyes light up like oh my goodness like this lady she knows she's one of us yes yes so it is very important yes sir people's language goes straight to their heart there's no doubt about it of course. No, people's yeah. language goes straight to their heart and they, they their feel food, like, everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They feel like you're